Good morning. It's good to see you all here this Sunday morning. You know, uh, yesterday was an important day in the lives of our family. Those of you that have young kids, maybe you experienced this too, because yesterday was April Fool's Day. It's very important in a family with young kids. My daughters came into my room yesterday morning and made the announcement Dad, today is April Fool's Day. And they spent time pranking each other, and you know, toothpaste was switched out, and uh, a mysterious softball game appeared on our family calendar that was supposed to happen. And uh, we, we joined in the fun. We told our kids that we were having fish for dinner, and they were upset about that, but it was really hamburgers. <laughs> it was a great thing. But they made the announcement Sunday morning or yesterday morning, that it's April Fool's Day, and, you know, my first instinct was, was to fire back, no, it's not, that was yesterday, today's April 2nd, and they just looked at me, and my youngest daughter goes, <laughs> she goes, Dad, was that your April Fool's joke? <laughs> I tried. Announcements are made, there are all kind of announcements that are made, birthday announcements, and graduation announcements and, and uh, you know, announcements about a child being born. We, ha we have announcements. We have announcements throughout history. Today is a day that will live in infamy. The eagle has landed. Luke, I am your father. I wrote that one down and someone uh, corrected me and said, he doesn't say Luke, I am your father. He says, no, uh, he says, I don't even remember. I actually don't care. So, uh, uh, Luke, I am your father. There have been many announcements uh, in the history of the world. There have been all of these announcements, but none more important than this. The king is coming. Today is what we call Palm Sunday. It's the day that Jesus entered into Jerusalem with a triumphal entry. It's the beginning of what we would call Holy Week or, or uh, Passion Week. Sunday, Jesus enters Jerusalem. Monday, he cleanses the temple. And on Tuesday, he teaches. On Wednesday, the Gospels are silent. Thursday, he celebrates the Passover with his disciples. On Friday, he's arrested, beaten, tried, crucified. Saturday, he's dead in the tomb. Sunday, he's risen from the dead. This is, this is the beginning. We celebrate that right now, beginning today. Matthew chapter 21 is where we're going to be. Matthew 21 speaks of the triumphal entry. The Sunday before he's risen from the dead. Matthew's gospel is 28 chapters. And so the the last eight chapters of Matthew's gospel covers the last eight days of Jesus' life before he's risen from the dead. That shows us that Matthew thinks that these last eight days are really important because it takes up so much of his gospel, just those last eight days. This week is the most important part of Matthew's story. In fact, it's the most important thing in all of human history, these eight days mean everything, and it begins here in Matthew chapter 21. Jesus 
enters in Jerusalem and he makes an, an announcement. You know, Jesus began his ministry in Galilee in the north and, and he's made his way back and forth to Jerusalem for different feasts and things like that. But this is the final approach, the last time that he will enter Jerusalem before he's crucified. And we're going to read about that together. We're going to begin in Matthew 21, verses 1 through 3, where Jesus gives instructions to his disciples. So look with me in verses 1 through 3. Matthew writes, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Verse 1 gives us some information about Jesus' location. It says there that he drew near to Jerusalem and came to this village, Bethphage. Now, what will help you kind of understand what's going on in this week of Jesus' life, uh, Jerusalem is experiencing a feast. There is a the Passover feast. It's the big one. And people, Jews from all over the world, would come into Jerusalem to celebrate the feast, especially Passover. That's the big one. And some scholars will say that, uh, you, you know, uh, an average population for the city of Jerusalem when there's no feast is about 40,000 people. But on a big one like, like the Passover, there may be as, million, as many as a million there. And so the, the city is swelling with, with people, much like we experience with South by Southwest or ACL coming to Austin. And, and it fills up the city so much so that there's nowhere to stay. You, you've got to stay in the suburbs. Well, that's what's taking place here as Jesus and his disciples travel to Jerusalem for the feast. There's nowhere to stay in Jerusalem. They've got to stay in the outskirts. So what you'll see in Jesus's life is he's going to go back and forth and back and forth into the city and out of the city because he can't stay there. So what we see is Jesus is approaching this village. He's there. And it also says that he went to the Mount of Olives. Now, what's taking place is this village is about a mile outside of Jerusalem. It's, it's not far. Uh, and it's near the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is an important place in Jesus' life. We're going to see in a few chapters, if you would read it, you, you would see that Jesus does some important teaching from the Mount uh, of Olives. But it's not only important to Jesus, it's important to the biblical storyline. So in Zechariah chapter 14, there's this promise that the prophet makes. He, he says that the Lord is gonna, he's going to bring the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is when God defeats all of his enemies ultimately and finally. And when that day comes, he says in Zechariah 14, that the Lord's feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. So the Mount of Olives. Now, here's what's going on. Uh, maybe a little geography would help you. Uh, Jerusalem sits on top of a, a mountain. Probably you wouldn't view it as, as a mountain. You would probably think of it as a big hill. So, so it sits on top of Mount Zion. And then to the east, there's a valley, the Kidron Valley. And at the top of that, when that valley comes back up, what, what you see there is the Mount of Olives. That's opposite Jerusalem to the east. And that's where Jesus has come 
to this village just a mile outside the city at Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, one mile from Jerusalem. Jesus has traveled hundreds of miles. In his three-year ministry, he's been back and forth from Galilee to Jerusalem. He has crossed over the Jordan River to the east and come back, and he's, he's walked hundreds of miles, but now he's one mile from his destination. One mile outside of Jerusalem, the king is coming. And he gives instructions to his disciples. He says, go into the village, and when you get there, I want you to, to grab this donkey and her colt. Now, we don't, we're not told which village this is. Uh, probably reading the other Gospels, we're going to assume that maybe it's Bethany. Jesus had been there before. He says, when you get there, you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them, bring them to me. Now, this may be a supernatural event where Jesus miraculously knows uh, what's going on in that village and that that donkey is where it is and you'll show up. It really could be that. It also, just the same, could just be Jesus has prearranged this and he has a friend in Bethany. They, they stayed in Bethany all the time when they went back and forth and it, it's possible that he had a friend there and this was prearranged. And so Jesus says, if anybody asks you, what are you doing? Why are you, are you stealing this? What's going on? Jesus says, all you need to say is the Lord needs them. Now in Matthew's gospel, when, when Matthew writes, he doesn't refer to Jesus as the Lord. Uh, other biblical authors will do that, but Matthew doesn't. When Matthew uses the title, the Lord, he's referring to God the Father. So when Matthew, or when Jesus says, tell him the Lord needs it, what he's saying is tell him, tell him God needs it. Uh, really, I mean, if, if anybody questions you, you just tell them I'm on a mission from God, like the Blues Brothers. You know, just give, give them that. And maybe, maybe this was a prearranged code that Jesus had given them, you know, uh, that, that somebody there, when they hear him say the Lord needs it, he would know, oh, this is Jesus, this is coming from Jesus. But either way, Jesus instructs his disciples to go get this donkey and her colt. Jesus intends to ride this donkey. Now, why? Is, is Jesus intending to ride this donkey because everybody else does? Everybody else has one? Well, no, that's not the case. We know from some other ancient writings that, that uh, as Jews approached Jerusalem for the feast, they had to do so on foot. Nobody had a donkey. Was it because Jesus was tired that he wanted this donkey? He had walked hundreds of miles. How are you going to get to the last mile and say, I, actually, I'm tired. I just need to get on this donkey. It wasn't because he was tired. The reason Jesus wanted to ride a donkey is made plain, as Matthew explains in verses 4 and 5. In verses 4 and 5, we have a fulfillment of Scripture. Read with me. It says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Matthew says the reason why Jesus wanted to ride on this donkey is to fulfill Scripture. And he quotes from Zechariah chapter 9. It says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Zion is the mountain that Jerusalem sits on top of, 
So he's speaking of Jerusalem. And the daughter of Zion would be the population, the people who lived in Jerusalem. In other words, say these words to the people of God. And he, he quotes Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Now my guess is that most of us in this room are probably not all that familiar with Zechariah's prophecy. Zechariah prophesied in a time when there was no king in Israel. Five. 86 B.C., 587 B.C., the Babylonians came in to Jerusalem and they exiled the people, destroyed the temple. Uh, the, the king of Israel, the king of Judah is no longer in charge. The Babylonians in charge. They take all the people back to Babylon. About 50 years later, the Persians defeat the Babylonians. And now the Persians are the big empire in the world. And there's this king in Persia, his name's King Cyrus, and he allows the people of Israel to go back to Jerusalem and, to be, and, and begin to build the temple. So they're, they're returning from exile to rebuild the temple, but there is no Davidic king. There is no son of David. There, there are descendants of David, but none of them are actually king. Cyrus is king. He's, he's king of Persia. Cyrus is king. There is no king in Israel. And Zechariah in chapter 9, verse 9, says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah says, there is no king, but a king is coming. And when he comes, you'll know him because he's riding on a donkey. The king is coming. And Matthew begins to report the events of this triumphal entry. And Jesus says, go get a donkey and a colt so I can ride it into Jerusalem. And Matthew explains to us, he says, the reason why he did this is because he wanted to be a picture of Zechariah chapter 9. He wanted to, to act it out. It wasn't because he was tired. It wasn't because everybody else had a donkey. He would be the only one. He wanted to do this. He wanted to ride this donkey because he wanted to make an announcement. King has come. So in verses 6 and 7, the disciples obey. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. So they do exactly as Jesus said. They brought the two donkeys back. Uh, the disciples put their cloaks on these two donkeys. Jesus sits on one of those donkeys and begins to ride it. In verses 8 through 11, we have the response of the crowds. Look with me in verse 8. We're going to see what the crowd does. In verse 8, it says, Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the ground, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. They put their cloaks on the ground. It's like a, a red carpet entrance for Jesus. And, and then they took branches and put them on the road. We know from John's gospel that these were palm branches. And it could be that, that those were the most accessible, they were convenient, they were right there, but there's another reason why they grabbed palm branches. You see, palm branches, for the people of Israel, they were symbolic, they were, they, they were nationalistic, they were militaristic. Uh, uh, 200 years before this, the Greeks were the empire in charge. They were running the show. 
And this group of, of Jews called the Maccabees defeated them and kicked, kicked the Greeks out of Jerusalem. And in celebration of this great military victory, they had palm branches that they would wave around in their victory march around Jerusalem. The palm branch from then on was a symbol of independence, military victory for the Jewish people. I want you to notice how their perception of what was going on clashes with Jesus' perception of what was going on. For them, they recognize that the king has come. He's riding on a donkey, but they misunderstand what he will do. They, they have these palm branches, and, and they think he's going to come be this victorious warrior that's going to run the Romans out of town. But Jesus isn't mounted on a war horse. He doesn't have a chariot. There's no spear in his hand. Jesus rides a donkey. In those days, kings would ride a donkey in times of peace. Zechariah and then Matthew point out the king comes humble, riding a, a donkey, not as one who conquers with a sword, but as one who lays down his life. They laid down the palm branches. He lays down his life. Oh, he does win the victory. He does. He's going to win the victory on Friday, but the way he wins the victory is by dying. That's not the kind of king that they were hoping for, but that's the king who had come. In verse 8, we saw what the crowds did. In verse 9, we can see what the crowds say. Look in verse 9. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The crowd is shouting. This word Hosanna, it literally means save us now or save us please. Uh, but over time, it kind of lost that meaning. It, it became detached from that meaning. And it simply just means praise. Praise to the son of David. The son of David is the king over Israel. Praise to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise to the highest. The lowest would be here on the earth. The highest would be in the heavens where the angels are. Praise from the lowest. Praise to the highest. Praise to the son of David. Now, I want you to see that as we think about the people who are there, there are actually two different groups of people. It's, it's, there are those who went before him and followed him. And then we'll see in verse 10, he's not in the city yet. He hasn't even gotten to the city where another crowd is. There, there are actually two crowds here. And the crowd, those that go before him, and those that are following after him, they're the ones who are, are throwing their cloaks down. They're the ones with the palm branches, and they're shouting, Hosanna! It's this, it's this raucous scene. It's chaos. And they're shouting, Hosanna! Jesus is riding on a donkey. He stands out. He's the only one riding on a donkey. What's going on? He enters the city. And look in verse 10. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? So outside the city is the palm branches and the cloaks and the donkey and the shouting. But 
people in the city hear it happening, and then Jesus enters the city. And it says that they're stirred up. Stirred up is probably not the best translation there because that word is actually used at the end of Matthew, Matthew 28. And it's the same response of the soldiers when there's an earthquake, the stone is rolled away, and there's an angel in front of them. The, the guards there at the tomb, the way that they react, it's that same word. They're, they're not just like stirred up. They're disturbed. This is, this is something that is disturbing to them. They, they tremble. So the city, there's, it's not like there's just like this buzz in the city. Oh, I wonder what's going on. There, there, there is maybe even some fear, some concern of what's going on. The reason why is Hosanna to the son of David with palm branches. That's a king. Do you know what Romans do to rival kings? They start killing people. Hosanna to the son of David, palm branches, who is this? Now, Jesus, he was famous. And so it's possible that their question wasn't, what's the name of this person that's on this donkey? It's actually quite probable to me that their question, who is this, is what is the meaning of this? What is the significance of what is taking place? Who is this man on a donkey? Why is he there? Uh, Of Of all the cities and all the world, the one that should have known that answer was Jerusalem. But they didn't. They didn't didn't know the significance, but they should have. They should have. Why should they have seen the significance? Why? Because the Old Testament announces a king is coming. They, They knew the scriptures, and the Old Testament, the scriptures they had, announced the king is coming it's an ancient announcement it's one that comes from the very beginning in genesis chapter 12 god tells abraham he says uh your offspring is going to bless the whole world and then in genesis 17 god tells abraham and sarah kings will come from you So this offspring that's going to bless the whole world is going to be royal. A king will come from you. A king is coming. And Abraham's grandson, Jacob, had 12 sons. And at the end of Jacob's life, he's an old man, he's dying. He wants to bless each of his sons. So he calls them one by one and he pronounces this blessing over them. And and he pulls Judah, his son Judah. And he speaks to Judah in Genesis chapter 49. He says this, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness, who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine he has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes his eyes are darker than wine and his teeth are whiter than Jacob speaks to his grandson, Judah, and he says, listen, son, one of your descendants is going to be king. He's going to bind his donkey 
the choice vine. He's going to wash his robe in wine, the blood of grapes. Jacob announces to his son Judah, a king is coming. Well, one of Judah's descendants would be king. A king does come. His, his name is David, and he rules over Israel. He is faithful to the Lord, and the Lord comes to David one time, and he speaks this truth to him. He, he makes a covenant with him in this blessing. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning in verse 12, here's what the Lord says to David, the king. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he will be to me a son. The Lord tells David, the king is coming. He's going to be your son, your descendant. But he's also going to be the son of God. And I will establish his throne and his kingdom forever. A king is coming. Well, David has several sons. Which, which son will this be? One of them is Absalom. Absalom steals the throne from his father David. David has to escape Jerusalem with his, for his life. He has to leave. And, and the story in 2 Samuel 15 is really sad. David is leaving Jerusalem in the opposite way that Jesus came into Jerusalem. He's not riding a donkey. He's barefoot. Nobody's celebrating and, and shouting Hosanna. David is weeping as he leaves and actually does the reverse path that Jesus does. He goes out through the Kidron Valley from Jerusalem and he goes up the Mount of Olives the other direction. Well, the way the story goes, Absalom is eventually killed and David returns to Jerusalem. A king has returned to Jerusalem, but who will be the son of David? David grows old. It's time to pick his successor. Who will it be? They choose Solomon. Solomon is chosen as king and he rides David's donkey into Jerusalem. He's anointed king. They, they blow the trumpet and they shout, Long live Solomon! A king has come. And in the way the history of Israel goes, Babylon exiles them. Persia lets them come back. And Zechariah prophesies, A king is coming. Humble. Riding a donkey like, like David, like Solomon. He's riding a donkey and he is coming. A king is coming. The Old Testament proclaims it. The Old Testament announces a king is coming. And then the New Testament makes this announcement. The king has come. You know, Matthew begins his gospel. This is the story about the son of David. This, this story, this Matthew story, is about Jesus, who is the son of David. He's the one that was promised in 2 Samuel 7, the son of David. Here he comes. This is it. And at the end of the story, Matthew writes, at the end of the story, look, he's riding on a donkey and entering Jerusalem, the son of David, just like Solomon. But Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 12, someone greater than Solomon is here. And the people of Jerusalem ask, 
Who is this? What, what is the significance of this? They missed it. And so the crowds respond in verse 11. The crowd said, this is the prophet. Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is the one we've been waiting for. You know, the king has come. That has enormous implications for our lives. The, the king has come. He has taken his rightful place. And, and we're going we're gonna to celebrate this. Look, the, the path to glory we know was through the cross. And, and this week we're going to remember the cross. This is Holy Week. And Friday, we have Good Friday services here, 7 o'clock. And it's more than just an invitation. I'm asking that you come. Friday at 7 we're going to celebrate the cross. We're going to remember the cross. Because at the cross, Jesus earned the forgiveness of sins that we can take hold of by faith. And Sunday, we're going to, we're going to celebrate his resurrection from the dead. Three services. And I'm not just inviting you to come. I'm asking that you be here and you bring someone with you. The king has come. At the cross, he has earned forgiveness. As resurrection, he has earned eternal life for us. The Old Testament proclaims that a king is coming. The, the New Testament says the king has come, but then the New Testament gives us even more. And the New Testament authors say, yeah, the king has come, and the king will come again. He's, he's coming again. And Jesus' apostle John, he, he had a vision. And he writes about it in Revelation chapter 19. He says, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. It's not a donkey. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and he makes war. His eyes are like flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. That's, that's like a crown. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. Not wine, not the blood of grapes like Jacob said. Blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He will return one day on a war horse. He has dipped his robe in blood. That's not somebody you want to fight. And his armies show up to this fight, and they're wearing white. Who wears white to a battle? Somebody who doesn't think they're going to have to do anything. He comes to fight his battle. He comes to defeat his enemies, and he will ultimately rule over sin and death and Satan. And what implications does that have? The king is coming. And that requires a response. The king is coming. That requires a response. You know, there were two kinds of people in the crowd. There were those who were shouting, Hosanna! And there were those who were asking, who is this? There, there were those 
who praised him, and there were those who did not know him. You know, the king will come again. The king is coming. And on that day, there will be two kinds of people. There will be those who who love his appearing. And then there will be those who realize they have rejected the one true king. There will be those who surrendered to King Jesus. And then there will be those who are his enemies. There's not a third group. Now is your chance to respond. Now is your chance to submit to Jesus. Now is your chance to give your life to him. Now is your chance to obey him. Now, not then, now. And I invite you to choose Jesus this morning. Choose Jesus, not not just in word, but in word and deed. Not just by identifying, you know, I guess if I have to choose a religion, I'll choose Christianity. No, by surrendering, repenting of your sin, turning to Jesus, learning about him, and longing for his return. The king has come, and that requires a response from us. The king is coming, and that gives us reason for hope. The Bible tells us that Jesus will return, and when he does, it will be as a victorious warrior on a war horse, a conquering king. He will defeat sin and death and Satan, and and, and then that's not the end of the story. It's not just just a win there, but listen listen to his plan. This, This is God's plan for the world, Revelation. Chapter 21, verses 4 and 5. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. When the Lord Jesus returns, he will defeat his enemies. And he's going to make all things new. That should give us hope. We may be tempted to hope in many things. The right relationship, the right job, the right diagnosis, the right government, the right amount of money. We, we hope in those things. But some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. The only sure and steady thing to place our hope in is the appearing of the Lord Jesus when he makes all things new. And third, the king is coming, and that produces steadfastness. One of the things that that happens with this hope and the return of the Lord Jesus, one of the things that happens is this hope can produce steadfastness because when you know the outcome, you can hang in there when it gets difficult. Several years ago, I ruined the ending of a football game to a friend of mine, for a friend of mine. Uh, We were at church that evening. Uh, I didn't realize that he had been at church all afternoon also, and I saw him walking by, and I said to him, and we tried to blow it at the end there, but good thing we, uh, we pulled it out. And he looked at me, and he smiled, and he said, I was recording it, and I was gonna watch it later. 
And I, you know, I said, well, at least now you don't have to be anxious when it gets difficult during the game. You know the outcome. <laughs> when you know that the ending is secure, you can walk through hard times. The Apostle Paul was writing about Jesus' return and his resurrection. He tells us all about when Jesus returns and we're all raised from the dead unto eternal life. He, he writes this chapter in 1 Corinthians 15 and he finishes the chapter like this. Therefore, my beloved brothers, therefore, because of his return and because of the resurrection, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. When I know the ending, I can be immovable. I can be steadfast because I know how the story ends. The king is coming and that produces steadfastness in us. And finally, the king is coming and that should shape our character. That should shape our character. Jesus tells a parable just, you know, two days later. He tells this parable in Matthew chapter 24. Beginning in verse 45, Jesus says this, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour that he does not know and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here's what Jesus says. The king is coming. Which one is the faithful servant? The one who acts like I've already returned? Or the one who thinks I'm delayed in coming and I'm going to live my life pleasing myself. And I'll get my act together later. Which one is the faithful servant? And that's the question for you. Are, you. are you living your life as if the master may return at any moment? What we've learned from the scriptures is the king is coming. The king is coming. And it demands a response. How will you respond? 